multitasking that you just do so many things and you're in this constant state of doing and doing and doing and doing and doing and doing, but you probably don't even have time to go back and check and see how you're doing the doing and doing. No, nobody else here champion multitaskers? So none of you look at your phone when you're driving, is that right? Just an observation. I was reading this week as I was studying for chapter 14 in our Believe study, and it just talks about having a single-minded focus. And I, I, I thought about how challenging that is for us to stay focused on things these days. I, uh, several months ago, I had made mention that the average attention span in the American church is about 18 minutes. And uh, one Sunday, apparently, I went a little long, and one of you won't point any names out. It's on this side of the room. You're here today made comment after the service, Pastor, you got my attention three times this Sunday. So um, our attention spans are a little short, and a lot of that has to do with we're, we're in a constant state of trying to do and do and do and do and do. There's a, a company called McGraw-Hill who prints a lot of textbooks. Any of you teachers may be familiar with them. And they did a study about the dangers of multitasking, in particular with uh, students and, and just the attention span and the learning environment. There were some really interesting things in there. One of them was just talking about you never really do anything well. You do a lot, but you don't do a, a lot of good things well. Uh, some of the others were just that it's, it's rude. Uh, multitasking is just rude and inconsiderate to others. One of my favorite management books that I'd read through the years was a book called Fish, and there were four primary principles in this book, and one of them was, was talking about being fully present and, and how important it is for you to be fully present, especially when you're talking with someone. I find that really challenging on Sunday because I want to be fully present with everybody I possibly can, but there's just a lot of moving parts. We're all kind of multitasking as we go. But I know that when someone gives me their full presence, I feel like a million bucks after I walk away from them. Um, presidents like uh, uh, Bill Clinton and Barack Obama had this amazing charismatic characteristic that many people said that, that when, when they were in the room, it felt like you were the only person there. They had this amazing ability to communicate and to give you, even if it were for but a moment, full presence. Have you ever been around someone that, that just feels like it doesn't matter what else is going on, but you're it, you're all that matters, even if it's but for a moment? It, it's, a, it's a good and unique feeling, isn't it? It, 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 it? it takes all the other things going on because, you know, as much as we have going on in our lives, one of the most challenging things is when I share those things with somebody that they don't seem to really absorb that or care or make it a, a, a big point. Multitasking has some other challenges to it as well. We, we get into a place to where life just kind of gets overwhelming because we have so many irons in the fire. Have you ever used that term? You know, what's going on? Oh, not a whole lot, just A through double M, right? You've moved all the way through the alphabet and you've picked back up again. As I was kind of researching this week, I came across another article and it said, <laughs> this was so funny to me, 17 signs that your life is overwhelming, just think about that for a second. 17 signs that your life is overwhelming. I got to about number two and going, this article's overwhelming. I, I'm, I'm looking at this and going, man, 17 signs that my life is overwhelming. There better be a sign-up list for someone to come and get me and place me in some sort of isolation, right? And, and so I'm looking at this, and I'm like, man, there's got to be a, a, a shorter test for my life being overwhelming. I don't know. Maybe my hair's turning gray or turning loose. Maybe I'm a little short-tempered and yelling at family members or other people for no apparent reason. Maybe there's just difficulty focusing. I mean, life gets overwhelming, does it not? And it gets overwhelming in different stages of life. I mean, some of you are empty nesters, and some of you are grandparents, and some of you are younger parents, and, and some of you are, are, are retired. Some of you are thinking about retirement. 
some of you realize that you're never going to retire and you know and, and life gets overwhelming when you start thinking about all those things and, and it's hard to stay focused on the things that really matter right on the things that are most important because everything vies for your attention and so I saw this other great great quote it was by a, name, a guy named Billings and he talked about a postage stamp and, and I've got a copy of it up here too um, that 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 uh, it's the yellow one there if y'all would put that up there it says be like a postage stamp stick to one thing until you get there and I'm like oh, that's that's profoundly simple right a postage stamp has no other purpose but to carry a letter from A to B and really that's all it does this was like in 1895 pre-iPhones or at least the first generation okay this guy had it figured out be like a postage stamp stick to one thing until you get it done one of my favorite movies is City Slickers. You've all seen that. Jack Palance has this crazy role in there, and, and, and he never answers the question. He says, you know what the secret to life is? And Billy Crystal goes nuts for the next two movies trying to figure out what the secret of life, what the one thing is, right? I can tell you what that one thing is, and it's having a single-minded focus on the Lord God Almighty. Now, I know that sounds painfully simple. I know that sounds like it's a, it's a contrite statement that we're going to say in church. But I'm telling you that if our single-minded focus was on God alone, all those other things, which are important, by the way, which do take a lot of your time and your energy and your efforts and your resources, all those things matter. But when our single-minded focus is on the Lord God alone, all those other things seem to work themselves out in his way. But man, that's hard, isn't it? And we don't really try to get to that place until there's pressure put on our life, until there's, there's some, some external forces that are pushing on us that we finally get to step 15 of 17 saying, my life's overwhelmed. And then we start thinking, you know, maybe I should talk to God about this. I wonder what God has to say about this. I wonder what the Bible has to say about this. This morning, our key ideal is that we focus on God and his priorities for my life. And, and what a challenge that is, is that we would focus on God and his priorities for our life, particularly because regardless of your culture or your heritage or where you come from, humanity has this overwhelming pushback of anyone placing a priority on your life that's not yourself. We have this, this rebellious attitude about someone else making our life's priority for us. Basically, we don't like being told what to do. We don't like being told what not to do. We don't like being told anything. We want to come to that on our own. And it's the, it's the skilled communicator, perhaps maybe the tricky communicator, that helps you come to an agreement on things. One of my favorite definitions of the word persuasion is that persuasion is giving someone else your will. You're not really talking them into anything. You're just giving someone else your will, right? And, and we're in a constant state of someone trying to give us their will or us give our will to them. Because really what we want is us to be right and everybody else to say we're right and agree with us, right? We don't like that conflict. But what, what, what matters when it comes to the priorities in our life, particularly when we think about the overwhelming nature of just the reality of life, particularly in a sinful world where things don't work like they're supposed to, where they're not in the right order with our Creator like they're supposed to, like they will be one day when He comes back and sets all things right, life can be a little overwhelming sometimes, can't it? If you have your Bible this morning, I want you to turn with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. 
And, and I really want you to, to watch along with me. We're going to look at uh, several verses, 23 verses today of Second Chronicles. In Second Chronicles, if you read uh, in, in First, Second Samuel, First, Second Kings, you'll see a lot of these books kind of flow together and they work on top of each other. And, and really what we're looking at is in Chronicles particularly, we're looking at the historical time frames of what was happening whenever the kingdoms divided. And you had the northern uh, kingdom and the southern kingdom, and these were the, the 12 tribes that were given the promised land, uh, that were uh, dwelling in the promised land that God had promised them, right? And so what, what, by the time we get to Second Chronicles chapter 20, we're getting to a place remains. Now, Judah was the southern kingdom. It was really one tribe and a little bit of Benjamin. And, and these are, are the Judah being the fourth son of Jacob, and he was promised that the line of the Messiah would come through Judah. That was a promise made to David. That was a promise that was made uh, to Solomon. That was a promise that was made to Abraham even, that, that the line would come through there, and Judah being the fourth son is the one. So we call him the Lion of Judah. And now Judah has a southern kingdom, and they're doing all they can to hold on. But in Judah, we have this flip-flop, good king and then a bad king, a good king and then a bad king, a good king and then a bad king. Now, in the northern kingdom, there were no good kings. And so what we have left here is just Judah that's trying to figure out what's happening, and you have these people called the Edomites. Now, the Edomites are descendants of Esau, who was the brother of Jacob, who didn't get 12 tribes. And so they have had this ongoing generational feud with the people of Israel for a long time. Basically, they don't like their, their cousins. They don't like them at all. And they have continued to wreak havoc upon Judah particularly and the children of Israel forever and ever and ever and ever. And the Edomites occupy land, they occupy territories, and they're just doing evil. And so in 2 Chronicles chapter 2, verse 20, we get to King Jehoshaphat. And so I want to read to you and ask you this question this morning. What do you do when life seems overwhelming? What do you do when life seems overwhelming? Now, we've all seen people react in different ways when stress comes. Some people clam up, some people act out. And there's all variations in between. But what do you do when life becomes overwhelming? You have a default behavior that you go back to, something that you at least find comfort in because it's controllable. At least you think it's controllable. It's really controlling you most of the time, but you at least have this ideal of what to expect. I know how this is going to play out with me. And so let's read together in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, just the first two verses at first. After this, the Moabites and Ammonites with some of the Meunites came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It is already in Hazazon Tamar, that is in Gedi. This is a, a fascinating geography lesson here for a moment. Essentially, what they're saying is, is that people from the, the region of Syria are coming down into the promised land, and they're coming against us. They're coming against the, the, the remaining tribe of Judah that's left. They're coming against us. They're even coming across the Dead Sea in a place called En Gedi. Now, in Gedi, if you've ever read in your Bible before, where David actually had the opportunity to kill Saul, he was in a place called En Gedi. And, and so this is, a, this is a place of great intersection throughout the Scripture. You'll see a lot of that. But territorial, what's happening is that they're crossing over the Jordan River, coming across the Dead Sea into a land that God had promised Judah. And so automatically, these invaders that are coming are trespassing. And nothing's stopping them because they don't have a fear of the Lord God or the knowledge or at least the remembrance of the promise to the people of Judah who are occupying a land but are being oppressed because of their sinful nature. And so here they are. All these vast, wicked armies are coming against us. 
and life is starting to look a little overwhelming. You ever feel that way? You ever feel like all of life's realities, all of the armies of darkness are charging against you, whether it be a credit card company or a creditor or, or, or a person at work or whatever the case may be. Maybe it's a family member or a sibling. Whatever the case may be, have you ever just got to a place to say, look, all of these people are coming against me. I'm in what should be a safe place, but it doesn't feel like I'm really in a safe place because they're coming against me in my safe place. What do you do when life is overwhelming? This morning, I want to look at three things in this passage of Scripture uh, throughout the rest of, of, of chapter 20 that I think can help us just a little bit. So let's read and see what happens in verse 3. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in the front of the new courtyard and said, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have all lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary in your name, saying, If calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress, and you will hear us and save us. Verse 10. But now, here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from them. So how... See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance. Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. What do you do when life feels like it's overwhelming? Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. He's not presenting new information to God, but he is saying, hey, do you remember you gave us this land? Do you remember you told us not to go after these people? And now here they are coming into the land of our inheritance, the land of our promise, and they're threatening us, and we do not believe we can defend ourselves, let alone fight back. What are we going to do? And the first thing that Jehoshaphat did was he went to God first. In verse 3 and verse 12 are two very significant verses in this passage of Scripture. Immediately upon hearing these people coming to attack them, Jehoshaphat went to the Lord and declared a fast for all the people and said, let's consult the Lord first. And then in verse 12, at the very end of that, he says something I think is just astounding. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Our eyes are on you. Now, I know many of you, that's a default for you, right? As soon as something bad happens or tragic happens or difficult happens or, or some oppression comes against you or you're falsely accused of something, is your first default thing was, well, you know, I don't really know what's going on, but I'm just going to focus on God on this. I think that's why the scripture tells us, do not replay evil for evil. Vengeance is mine, thus saith the Lord, because he knows our nature. Our nature is not to immediately turn and say, God, I'm being attacked. I'm being overwhelmed. God, these false claims are coming against me. God, I messed up, and now all the consequences are coming this way. 
our nature usually is to, okay, I think I can figure this out on my own. I think I've got a plan here. I think I can circumvent some sort of process. I think maybe I can lie my way out of this. I think maybe I can make a different decision out of this, and it'll all just kind of blow over. I think right now it's just kind of a little thing, and boy, isn't it amazing how little things pile up to be great big things and how challenging those little things stack up and stack up and stack up and stack up. But look at the, look at the leadership of Jehoshaphat. He declares a fast, presents it to the Lord, and he says just quite honestly, Lord, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do it. I don't know if we can even defend ourselves, to be perfectly honest. I don't feel like we can. I don't know what the plan is, but my focus is on you. You and you alone. Could you imagine what your life would look like if your faith was so solid that no matter what came your way, no matter how difficult it may be, no matter how unjust it may be upon your life, that you just stopped and said, you know what, I don't know what's happening here. I don't know how I got here. I don't know what all these things are going, but you know what I do know is I know the Lord God Almighty, and I'm going to keep my eyes focused on him. It's not unlike when Peter saw Jesus there on the banks, and, he, and, and the Lord called out to him and said, Peter, come on. Peter was never going to walk on water until he got out of that boat. And when he got out of that boat, he began to take a step. And as long as his eyes were fixed on Christ, he was fine. But as soon as he began to look away and to look down, Peter began to sink. Sinking moments in your life? Do you have opportunities where you could have presented yourself before the Lord? Where you could have been as honest about what he already knew about you? And accepted the reality, I don't know what to do, I don't know how to fix this, but I'm going to keep my eyes focused on you. And Paul is understanding that no matter what happens next, Lord, you've got this. We used to sing a song when we were little kids. Y'all remember this song? He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole, sing with me, you know the song. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. Except the stuff I want to keep to myself, Lord. Do we do that? Do we do that sometimes? Hey, God, this is a great children's song, but I'm an adult. My issues are different. My sin is different. My problems are different. Let me tell you something. There's not a problem you have that's too big for God. Why would you keep it away from him? I dare say few of you have ever had literal armies coming against you. But there is an army of darkness that chases after each and every one of us each and every day, and we do more to invite that trouble into our lives than just have it invade us. I don't know what to do, but my eyes are going to be fixed on him. My eyes are on the sparrow, as the song goes. So what did Jehoshaphat do next? He proclaimed, I don't know what to do, but I'm going to go to God first. Well, look what he does in verse 13. He says this, all the men of Judah with their wives and children and little ones stood there before the Lord. Now, this is interesting. I want you to pay attention to this, particularly for those of you who have families. Your problems are not just your problems. They impact every single person in your circle, every one of them. And so when we have these types of things, let's don't keep those bottled up. Let's go before the Lord with our families on this. Because look, parents especially and grandparents, your kids need to see you struggle and seek God for the answers. They don't just need to feel like you, you can fix anything. I love that my parent 
that, that my parenting skill is such that my kids look at me and think, man, dad's just awesome. He can fix anything. Ask my kids. They'll tell you, dad's awesome. He can fix anything. Right? But some of the greatest lessons my kids will probably ever learn is when their dad fails to do it on his own but succeeds to seek the Lord. It's one of the greatest pieces of faith we can pass on from generation to generation is that we don't exclude our children from our problems. They don't have to know everything. They don't have to have every detail. But what they do need to see is that you put God first and seek him when these armies come against you. Let's read on in verse 14. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite and descendant of Asaph. As he stood in the assembly... Basically, a prophet stood up in the middle of the assembly and said, I've been praying, I've been fasting, and I believe the Lord has a message for me to share today. He said, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. If you don't have that underlined in your Bible, man, you you better do it now and memorize it. We just sang a song about it. The battle belongs to you. For the battle's not yours, but God's, verse 16, tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jezreel. Verse 17, you will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. This is the second thing we see when life seems like it's overwhelming, is that we pursue God's will before we pursue our own. You ever wonder why God's not speaking to you, or you don't feel like God's giving direction in your life? We talked about this last week, about being in God's word and studying God's word. There's, there's several movement out there where many a folk will want to have a new revelation from God, and they'll say, well, the Lord told me, or, or, or God said to me. Now, I want you to understand, sometimes that's just kind of an idiom. It's, it's, it's kind of the way our, our English language speaks. Well, God told me to do this, or God told me to do this. I, I think sometimes what, what people actually mean, not always, but sometimes what people actually mean was, I was reading the scripture today where God has already spoken about that, and this is within his character for how he has always operated and who he is. And so whenever I have an issue or a challenge or a problem, I can go back to his word, and his word speaks to that in my life. And so when we say that the Lord told me or God said to me, then what we get is this is what the scripture is saying, and this is, the, this is the voice of God speaking in our lives. Now, in this situation, this is what he actually got from the Lord, which would most likely be the Holy Spirit speaking to him. And it was in line with the character of God. And instead of trying to figure out, okay, here we are. We know we're ill-equipped. We know that we don't have good tactics. We know where they're going to be. We know they outnumber us. We know that they're the aggressors here. We know that we've been pushed into this place. And we probably know that we're getting punished right now because we're outside of God's will on some things. Here we are. Hey, let's go ahead and try to go and fight them anyway. Instead of doing that, what the Lord says very clearly is, I want you to go ahead and march out, and I want you to be prepared for this. But instead of you wanting to go and fight this battle, trust me, pursue my will, and I will go and fight this battle for you, and you get a front row seat. You get to watch and see that the Lord is mighty and powerful. If you will but trust him in this, he'll place you in a position so that you can see God being glorified by his actions. But the second you take a step to circumvent God's better plan for your life, you can guarantee it's probably not going to work out like he said it is. 
you can guarantee that you're going to find yourself in a position where the enemy can overwhelm you because you've decided that you're going to take a step past God. Now, how many times have you done that in your life? I've done that a lot. It usually starts with me not even going to God to begin with, and then I get myself in even deeper trouble than what it was, and then I go back and say, hey, God, I'm in trouble. Did you notice? Did you forget about me down here? And God's like, no, I watched you make bad decision after bad decision after bad decision. I saw this coming before you did. And unfortunately, you just kept on making another bad decision after the other one, after the other one, after the other one. And this is not near as bad as it could be if you'll stop, back up, and trust me on these things. When we pursue our will, especially when our will is about vengeance, our will is about getting what we want, our will is about putting our own needs and our own desires, even worshiping our own freedom or our abilities above those of God, we're going to find ourselves in some very sticky situations, and it actually will probably add to the overwhelming reality of life. Life is overwhelming. It's because it's out of balance. It's because creation is not in the right place with its creator, And until that happens, we're going to continue to have all kinds of issues and challenges and difficulties where we're not going to get along with one another very well. I find it interesting that the first of the Ten Commandments that God gave was that you shall have no other gods before me. And it's so fascinating that throughout the Ten Commandments, they're broken into two categories. How do we relate to God and how do we relate to one another? And throughout the entire Bible, we see this amazing thing that if we can just do one thing, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, well, that didn't work. And then we get over here to these 10 things, and we can't seem to get those working right. And then we go to 613 things, and we can't seem to get those things right. And then Jesus steps in and says, hey, I got two things for you to do. Let's see if we can get a good even number here, right? Love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself. Everything else falls into place. Isn't that fascinating? God, it's very difficult for us to follow him whenever we're pursuing our will instead of his. When we don't even seek his will, that's a challenge. When we don't seek his will because we don't know, we wouldn't know it if it hit us in the face because we're not in his word to know if that's him speaking to us or not or if it's our own preferences that are speaking or not. We find ourselves in such a, a challenging area of life that life gets a little overwhelming. Lord, there's just too many decisions to be made. Now, I'm a decision maker. I'm also a procrastinator. I'm as human as the next person. I'm kind of one of those ready, fire, aim kind of people. We can fix that. We can clean that up. You know, the only thing worse than making a bad decision is not making a decision at all. That's the, probably one of the primary reasons I was not King Jehoshaphat. Because my personality would have led everybody to their death. All right, here they come. Let's go. Let's go get them. Who's with me? got a personality like that in your life maybe it's you maybe it's others are you a ready fire aim kind of person god is saying if you'll just aim on me i'll take care of all the rest of that now listen i want you to be very clear on this that doesn't mean that all your problems are just going to melt away because god loves everybody and god gives an equal opportunity for everybody and jesus is just the greatest thing in the world those things are true but it doesn't mean your problems are going to go away It just means that you realize that your God, the one true God who loves you and sent his son Jesus for you, is bigger than every problem you could ever possibly have. So stop trying to handle it on yourself. Stop trying to make something into doing what you want it to do when God says, I got a much better plan here. And when you're in a position like Jehoshaphat, where you're leading a family or you're leading a country or a nation or a group of people, the absolute worst thing you could do is lead them to their death, physically and spiritually. 
And that was the challenge that was up there in front of Jehoshaphat. He was smart enough to take things to God first and then to pursue God's will before he pursued his own. Let's look and see how this story ends. Verse 18. Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down and worshiped before the Lord. And then some Levites from the Kohathites and Korathites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Early in the morning they left for the desert of Tekoa. And as they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets and you will be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat anointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness. As they went out to the head of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. And as they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. The Ammonites and the Moabites rose up, against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. And after they finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped to destroy one another. What's really interesting about this passage was verse 20. So if, if, you, if you wanted to go back and study again, I would tell you to go back there again. But, but do y'all remember Yosemite Sam? Anybody remember him? Close the doors! Cold outside! That guy there, you know, the mustache thing. He used to say, jumping Jehoshaphat. That was his phrase, right? For those of you under the age of, of <laughs> anyway, he was a cartoon character, right? But he'd always say, jumping Jehoshaphat. And the idea well, actually comes from this passage of Scripture because Jehoshaphat inquired upon the Lord. He had a problem. He took it to God first. And then God said, here's what I want you to do. So he pursued God's will before he pursued his own will. And now here he is doing the right thing, and he's making the right decision, and he, he, he's following God, and he's putting his trust in God for the outcome. And so how he responds to God and the outcome was Jehoshaphat said, this is not our battle. It belongs to God. And God's going to take care of it. He has a better plan. And Jehoshaphat, instead of sending men out with, with bows and arrows and spears and swords and everything else, he sent the choir out first. He says, y'all go sing praises to the Lord. He sent the choir out first. Now, here's what's interesting about, about the, 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 the Israelites' remembrance of this. Many a time, they're going to win battles never firing a shot. They're going to sing praises to God, and they're going to trust him for the outcome. It's ludicrous when you stop and think about it from humanity's point of view. Okay, God, you put us in a, a, a position where we can be ambushed and killed. We're outnumbered, probably out-technologied. They're, they're going to kill us, and you want us to start singing songs and give up our position? Yeah, because it's not about where you are on the ground. It's where you are with the Lord. It's about how your relationship is with him, especially when times get tough. And when our relationship is not right with God, when things aren't bad, we'll default back to a place where we're not right with him when things really get bad. And Jehoshaphat's thought was, as soon as trouble came, stop and pray, commit a fast, trust the Lord in all these things. And if we're going to trust him at the very beginning before the skirmish ever begins, we'll trust him for the outcome on this. So many times we try to force an outcome to make things into our way because we think we've got a good plan. We think that if we do this, maybe we won't suffer as much. Maybe this won't be as challenging. Friends, I got, I got news for you. This life is hard, and it is overwhelming. And sometimes we suffer 
for no reason of our own at all other than that we live in a fallen world and there are bad people out there who make bad decisions and it hurts people. It hurts people every day. The innocent are always going to be in danger in a fallen world. But sometimes we've got to trust God with the outcome. And when I say sometimes, I mean always. I mean always we've got to trust God for the outcome. That doesn't mean some sort of crazy blind faith where we just kind of throw it up in the air and we don't do anything. There's activity in our waiting. There's trusting God in our prayers, in our fasting, in turning to Him, in not getting inside of our own heads and thinking about all the worst-case scenarios. That's one of my biggest faults, if you haven't realized that. I always start on the darkest place. If I were Luke Skywalker, I'd have gone to the dark side in the first movie, I guarantee you. That's just how my brain, unfortunately, works sometimes. And God, in His mercy and His grace, works on my heart and says, man, you've got to trust me a little bit more. And by a little bit more, I mean with everything. Sometimes you just need to start by trusting him with one thing, and that's your heart. God, I don't know the outcome, but I know my eyes are fixed on you. I believe that when we make God our singular focus, everything else works out like it's supposed to. That doesn't mean life's going to be easy. That's not a prosperity gospel. That's just saying that I know the one true God, and he's bigger than my problems. He's bigger than my challenges. He's bigger than my difficulties. He's bigger than my illness. He's bigger than my bills. He's bigger than whatever those things are. And yeah, I'm not going to always get it right. To be honest with you, I'll probably get it wrong almost every time when I do it on my own. But if I will trust him, if I will trust him, from the very beginning to the very end, I'll go to him first and I'll trust him for the outcome. I can take that worry off my shoulders. I can have a singular focus on the one true God who loves me enough to say that I've got the answer for every problem this world has ever had, and he's my one and only son, and he died for all of humanity, even and especially those that are just depraved beyond belief. There is opportunity for them to have their life saved for all eternity because Jesus said he'd go to the cross for them. That sounds like great churchy words, doesn't it? But trust is hard. Trust is earned. I don't know what else God can do for us. But maybe it's time that we start trusting him. This morning I want to open the microphone up because we're in that act stage and I want to invite you to come and maybe read some of these passages of scripture. Maybe even tell us about a time when God was first in your life. You're human, so the likelihood that you would say, I went to God first on all these problems, maybe it's not there. But when life piled up against me and it got a little overwhelming, when I did turn to God, this is how this turned out. I think every one of us, particularly those of us who've got a little bit more mileage on us than the others, we can look back in retrospect and say, man, God really did know better, didn't he? I've told you over and over again that my dad is one of the greatest men in my entire life, and he reminds me of that the older I get, the more my dad was right. And that if I'd get to that a little bit sooner, my childhood probably would have been a whole lot better than what it was. I had a pretty good childhood. But if you, if you don't know this, I'm a little stubborn. Will you come and share with us this morning about a time when God was first in your life, maybe something that he's done, or perhaps even read some of these passages of Scripture? where God reveals his character to us and he shares with us that he wants to be first, he wants to be the priority, and that the battle truly belongs to him. I'm going to leave the microphone open for a few minutes.
reading comes from uh, Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. It says, Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken from her. trusting God thing can be a little bit challenging, can it? Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 is a familiar verse to many of us. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. It doesn't say eventually get there and finally ask him when all your troubles and all your efforts finally fail and give way. Then go to God. No, it says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. I want to invite you and encourage you this morning that maybe the first step that you have in trusting God is to give him your heart. Let him do the rest. To say, God, I don't know what the outcome of this is going to be, but my eyes are going to be fixed on you going forward. If you need to make that decision this morning or if you've never made that before or maybe it's just a little bit of a reminder that, hey, life's overwhelming and I have not been focusing on him. I'm starting to sink. I would invite you to take one of these connection cards and write a note. Tell us how to get in touch with you and let's have that conversation about where you are in your walk with Christ, where you need to be or where you'd like to be. As the band comes up and begins to play this morning,
I'm going to ask us just to take some, a few moments and just perhaps maybe pray, focus on what God wants to do. And just think about what it means to truly trust him whenever times get a little bit harder than what they have to be. We're going to pass the offering plate this morning, and this is where you get to meet your neighbors a little bit because we're going to have you pass it back behind one another. But will you this week put your focus on Christ alone? Make it a singular focus. All the rest of these things will take care of themselves. Let's pray together. Father, as we come before you this morning, we just thank you for your great provision in our lives. How you give us a way out so that we're not overwhelmed by anything, Lord. When we face trials and temptations, we know that they're the same ones that Christ himself faced. And it was through the true word of God that he defeated each and every one of those. God, we also just ask your blessing over our offering and how you provide for our church and the opportunities for us to do ministry so that others might be able to have a singular focus on the one true God who loved us so much that he gave us Jesus. Father, thank you for this church, this chance for us to worship together and to continue to minister to our community. We just ask God that you would be with us as we make each and every decision moving forward to do what you would have us to do. We ask these things in Christ's name.